0: Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. It is August 30th, 2019, and welcome to Sidebar with John Duran. We've got such a great lineup today, but before we get started, I just want to tell you, we are all thinking about Floridians right now uh, because uh, Hurricane Dorian is heading towards Florida. I I would only want it to hit one spot called mar lago but other than that, I, I hope that everybody else stays safe. I, I spoke to uh, my openly gay Miami Beach uh, city councilor this morning, Mark Gorgora, and he's been a guest on the show. He said they're all hunkering down and getting ready for for it to hit. So if you're listening in Florida, we're all thinking of you all over the country. Hope you're doing okay hanging there. To keep your mind off Hurricane Dorian, let me tell you what we've got coming up today. So I'm going to have an incredible co-host. It's somebody I've known for 30 years since we were young twinks on the streets of West Hollywood. Uh, Alan Uphold, and uh, Alan went on to become the national chair of the H Board of Governors. Uh, He and I have served together at the founding of Equality California to create marriage equality here in the Golden State. Uh, Alan uh, was a a development director for the Point Foundation uh, doing LGBT scholarships, and now he's on the board of the Transcourse of Los Angeles, and you know what? He's a professor. He's smart. He's sharp. He knows a lot about politics and a lot about gay history, so it's going to be great to have him co-host with me all day today. And then, from there, we're going to go to what I call our LGBT Yoda. Her name is Lisa Kay. Lisa I met back in the late 80s. Uh, uh, Actually, no, I'm sorry, early 80s. She had done the Briggs Initiative in the late 70s, and she was this dynamic lesbian activist down in Orange County fighting the hard fight against the right wing and doing it in very hostile territory in the midst of Congress members Dannemeyer and Dornan and Rohrbacher, And she was this petite little power lesbian like five foot three but man was she a powerhouse and uh now she is a shepherd yes sheep a lesbian shepherd in rural Oregon. Uh, but I know that many of you listen to us on radio.com and you're listening in rural areas. So we've got somebody from a rural area on to participate and bring that voice to the discussion today. So it'd be great to have Lisa Kay, or as I call her Yoda from Oregon uh, on the show with us. And then we're gonna have uh, Stephen Roth. Stephen is uh, now the executive director of ORAM which is the Organization for Refugees, Asylum, and Migration. They focus on LGBT refugees from all over the world. You know, there are some pretty hostile places in Kenya and Africa and the Middle East, in Central and South America, where gays and lesbians are executed for their sexual orientation. So they're trying to find them safe harbor. And we'll be hearing from Stephen about the efforts that ORAM is doing around the world to keep LGBT people uh, safe from persecution and execution, if you can believe that. And then we're going to wrap up the show with uh, the executive director and the artistic director of the Trans Chorus of Los Angeles, the only Trans Chorus in the country. Uh, incredible group! I actually heard them at Alan uh, Uphold and his husband Jeff's home over the past weekend. They sound incredible. Their voices are amazing, and uh, how unique to have a Trans Chorus uh, here, where we get to hear Trans voices and watch Trans community being built before our very eyes so they'll be on to finish up the show so we're going to have a little bit country a little bit rock and roll a little bit trans a little bit yoda lesbian power gaze it's just going to be a fun uh, two hours so i'm glad you're tuning in and listening to us but let's uh let's just pick up where we left off last week from our reality show last week the knucklehead in the white house called himself the king of the jews and the chosen one (laughs) Yeah, remember that, Jason? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Ridiculous.
0: (laughs) This week, uh, he has decided the most effective way to deal with Hurricane Dorian is to just nuke it. Well, if we just nuke. What? Yes. No, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. He said if we just nuke. The hurricane, it'll stop it. Yeah, I so had to say, sir. There's... What is going on in his head? <laughs> nothing. Like, what... <laughs> Absolutely nothing is going on in his head. I'm speechless. I'm just speechless. <laughs> I, I know. So Democrats, get through your winnowing, get through your debates. You know, nominate your nominee. And you know, I, I know you all know that I'm a big fan of Kamala Harris because she's my U.S. senator. But I, got to, I love the I love the judge too. He's doing great. And I'm an old fan of Joe Biden. So I don't, you know, any. Elizabeth Warren Bernie Sanders any of them I don't really care any of them Whoever's going to win we need to all gather behind her or him and get our country back on track it's just too much and and, you know four more years of Trump and our democracy could be damaged for decades at least the rest of my lifetime and I don't want to be thinking about you know right-wingers undoing all the work we so carefully put together over the last 50 years so election coming up is going to be really critical and really important but in the meantime we'll be talking to a lot of people today about the building blocks of what we're working on today and more importantly what you can do to to get involved so before we uh we head out i i uh, i think i've kind of spoken all i need to speak and we're going to bring alan uphold into the conversation because alan is in studio with me so alan welcome to sidebar Thanks for having me, John. Yes, he's gorgeous. If you haven't ever seen Alan (laughs) Uppol, look him up on Facebook. Uh, You're too kind. (laughs) I'm so glad you're here, Alan. Now, I know that you, right now, you are a part-time, is it professor, or you teach kids?
1: Yeah, adjunct professor of public speaking at Mount San Antonio College, commonly known as Mount SAC, which is out in Walnut, California.
0: Wow. Oh, very cool. And you teach uh, a lot of your students about LGBT
1: history? Uh, Well, well, it comes up for sure. I I don't hit them with that in the first day, but we talk about... About the importance of uh, ethics and how to use uh, proper language and uh, proper research to back up their uh, whatever they're speaking about, and uh, you know. This president gives us a lot of fodder for things that you should not do when you are trying to write or deliver a credible
0: speech. <laughs> yeah, something that's believable. It's so true. <laughs> Gang, when we come back, we're going to be hearing Alan Uphold's story from West Hollywood twink to college <laughs> professor. Right, Alan? Okay. You <laughs> say so. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, y'all. The Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. Call from mom. Answer it.
2: Call silenced
0: welcome back gang we are in studio with the wonderful alan uphold but before we get started i just got a text from michael k in palm springs asking if lisa the yoda lesbian is just me in voice disguise no michael in palm springs uh there is an actual lesbian named lisa k who will be coming on the show later this morning and i hope you'll enjoy listening to her now we're here with Alan Uphold. And I, Alan, you and I were talking, we've known each other, I think, maybe 30 years or so. And you went from, Twink, volunteering at the Project Angel Food Kitchen, serving That's hot right, meals I can't to people with AIDS. Hot meals to people with AIDS all the way to the national chairman of the HRC Board of Governors. Pretty impressive. Where did that start?
1: You know, actually, uh, I wasn't serving meals. I can't take credit for that. I helped them with their first newsletter and uh, oh, because cool. I was in communication and public relations. But great organization. Uh, actually, Marianne Williamson is one of the co-founders. There she was. The small fact there. She was. With um, David Kessler. And we had Richard
0: right. Ayub, the current mm, yeah, CEO, absolutely. on the show a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah,
1: great organization. But actually, what happened was in 2000, Back, remember back in 2000 when we thought George W. Bush was the most dangerous thing that we had? Yeah. I, I yearn for those days, actually. I know. But Bush was running against a guy named Al Gore, and I went down to the Democratic headquarters in West Hollywood, and I said, "Hey, I want to register people to vote." And the the person there said, "Well, who are you with?" And I said, "What do you mean? Who am I with? I'm just I'm me. I just want to. I think it's important election, and I want to register people to vote." So I was standing out in front of Vaughn's supermarket registering people to vote in West Hollywood, and uh, a guy by the name of Patrick Adams came by, and Patrick said, "Hey, who you who are you with?" And everybody thought he was with someone. He's like, "It's just me. I'm just here." And uh, Patrick said, you should get involved in HRC, Human Rights Campaign. Do you know Human Rights Campaign? I said, yeah, you know, I've been to one of their galas, I think. But yeah. And he said, well, you need to get involved. You really need to get involved. And one thing led to another. Before you knew it, I did a, ha- a town hall for them on uh, LGBTQ families. And then I did the uh, annual gala here in Los Angeles where we honored Barbara Streisand and our dear departed friend, Craig Zaden mm. And um, it was off to the races from there, you know, uh, after being on on the board for a while. I ended up being the national co-chair. Then I got a phone call from my friend John Duran, who wanted to take me to lunch and see if I'd like to get involved in an organization called Equality California. (laughs) That (laughs)
0: scoundrel, that John Duran guy—he shows up everywhere.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and so since then, it's been you know Point Foundation. I'm on the board of the Stonewall National Museum and Archives, trying to preserve our history. transcourse of LA. You know, I think that everybody—and this is probably more uh, for people who are younger in your audience that don't necessarily remember what those days were like um, when we couldn't uh, get married and we didn't uh, have families, we weren't allowed to have families. Um, But it's still important to get involved. And so I always tell young people who come to me who say, I'd like to get involved but I don't know what to do, the first question I always ask is, well, what interests you? You know, are you interested in the media? There's GLAAD. Are you interested in helping youth? There's, you know, Trevor Project. Are you interested in uh, politics? There's HRC. There's Equality California. And on more than one occasion, I have referred a young person to an organization and had somebody from that organization say to me, thank God, you sent, this is such a great person that you sent over oh, here. That's so cool. So, yeah. Where were you born and raised? I grew up in southwestern Pennsylvania, a little oh. town called Uniontown, Pennsylvania. Uniontown, Pennsylvania. It is. It's it sounds a, like town. Territory to me. Uh, Probably, well, at one point it was. I'm not sure it is anymore. Um, It's a little, it's just over the West Virginia border in Pennsylvania, north of Morgantown, about 45. Miles south of Pittsburgh.
0: Did you feel you were the uh, only gay kid in Uniontown, Pennsylvania?
1: I didn't know what gay was, so because we're broadcasting in Pittsburgh right now. By the <laughs> okay, way, well, so. good. So maybe it we may have be some people, people there in Uniontown listening. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't know what that was. I didn't understand. Uh, I just knew that kids made fun of me on the playground and that I was different. But I didn't know what kind of different. I, I made didn't fun know. of you
0: for it. I mean, because you're very masculine oh, presenting, you're very John. masculine <laughs> appearing. No, you, you are. I, I mean, I got bullied, but you can see why. I got a big mouth and, you know, I'm a little <laughs> knucklehead. I don't, can't imagine you being bullied,
1: though. Oh, yeah, all the time. And sissy and, you know, queer. And I'll never forget this one time, this kid, I'm not going to say his name. Uh, I had transferred to a new school. I was in third grade. And uh, I was, people in the school were sort of starting to like me. You know, this new third grade kid. And he seemed like a nice kid. And one day on the playground, he came up to me and punched me in the stomach and called me a sissy. And then he started to cry. And so the teacher comes running over and says, what did you do to him? And I said, I, did, I didn't do anything. I, I was just it. standing here. He hit me. <laughs>
0: it must have been my
1: abs of steel. <laughs> uh, right, I guess. But thank God some of the other kids there saw it and defended me and said, yeah, so-and-so hit Alan. He didn't do it.
0: A sissy because what? You sang? I know you sing now. Is it, what were the identifiers that causes you know, a nine-year-old to punch another nine-year-old? It's
1: all the typical things. Not able to catch a ball as well as the other boys. Guilty here. Uh, I'm guilty. Too. Yeah, last to get kicked for the, uh, picked for the kickball team. Still true for me today. Yeah. <laughs> you know you know all, all those things. The, yeah. um, maybe a little bit better dressed than the other kids. <laughs>
0: ah, okay. Now there's the clue. <laughs> the only kid in third grade with a bow tie
1: on. <laughs> oh, I've got some like, hilarious pictures of me with uh, leisure suits on for church. <laughs> I love that.
0: Now, your sister, uh, Bonnie, is a lesbian, right? Yes, that's right. When did you two come out to one another?
1: Well, she told me... Uh, when I was, uh, I guess, a sophomore in high school, and I think she told me, thinking that I would then turn around and confide in her that I, you were gay too. Yeah, but I didn't you know. You were the leisure suit. <laughs> but I didn't know. I didn't know what that was. I didn't. You know, it, it wasn't that I wasn't aware that I was different. I, I wasn't very sexually active at all when I was in junior high school and high school. I have friends who say, "Oh, I knew when I was ten, and I went in the garage with the neighbor's kid." I didn't do it. I didn't have any of those experiences. Mm. I was a virgin until I was nineteen, so mm. I didn't know what what I was. I didn't know what that was all about. So um And
0: this is in a suburban Pennsylvania.
1: Not even suburban, I would call it rural. Rural Pennsylvania. Twelve twelve
0: thousand people in Uniontown Pennsylvania. That sounds pretty rural to me. Yeah. So what was the icebreaker? What was finally the moment when you went, aha
1: I don't know if I want to get into this on the radio. How many <laughs> listeners do you have? <laughs> I don't know. 30,000 let's, let's just say that there was an experience that happened in college where I realized, oh, I see. I get it now. Ah, the I old
0: college now. roommate in the dorm room frat house scenario. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well.
1: I was in a fraternity.
0: Okay. Yeah. There you go. And
1: I was also an Eagle Scout. So there were plenty of male bonding experiences.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's amazing. And then you told Bonnie, "Hey, guess what? Me yeah, too." that's
1: oh, right. Okay, that's right.
0: You um, you saw the article in the L.A. Times today. Yes. that I believe there's uh, not necessarily one gene that establishes uh, sexual orientation, but it's a little more complex. Do you think there's anything about, you know, all the stories of uh, gay twins or LGBT siblings that there is something to it in terms of environment?
1: I'll, I'll tell you a story about a guy that I first met here when I first moved to Los Angeles. And we went on a date. Nice guy. I can't remember his name. And he was talking about his four other brothers. So there's five boys in the family. One of them had told the guy I was dating that he was gay. So the two of them knew about each other. Then the brother that he knew about came to him and said, hey, brother number three came to me and said that he thinks that brother number four is gay. And brother number two said, well, what makes you think that? And he said, well, brother number four said, because I'm gay and I found this in under his bed. So four of the five brothers were confirmed to be gay and the fifth one was probably Uh, not far off as well. I don't think it's possible. I mean, I don't, I'm not a scientist. I'm not an ethicist. Um, I don't think it's possible for some, for families to have that many experience, uh, experience that many gay kids in the family uh, and not have some sort of genetic component to it. And I don't know anybody that doesn't have a gay uncle or an aunt somewhere down the line, right? Are you aware of anybody that doesn't have at least one gay aunt or uncle? No. I (laughs) think
0: everybody has a gay Uncle John, like me. That's right.
1: That's right. So, I mean, I, I, like I said, I'm not a scientist, but it's sure, when you look at the mounting evidence that, that shows that there's some genetic p- component to it, I just can't imagine that it's not uh, co-
0: genetic in some way. Hmm. And I always love when people say when did you choose to be yeah. gay it's like "Yeah, hey, I'm gonna." Ch- this is a good choice let when did you choose a life of violence <laughs> hatred discrimination and punches in the
1: belly that's right. as a, a, a alternative lifestyle it's and have words. the church and the government actively uh, campaigning come, against a, you. come
0: after you here's another logical choice <laughs> well you know the best response to that is I don't know when did you choose to be straight that's true or when did you choose to be left handed that's what I say to there people. you go when yep. did you choose to be left handed yep. when we come back more with Alan Uphold thanks for tuning in to Sidebar with John Duran here on
4: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: That is the wonderful lesbian folk singer, Chris Williamson singing sister. And our next guest is somebody I consider to be a sister of mine. And that's the incredible Lisa Kay, who is calling in from
3: Oregon. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Hey. Thank you. Thank you. Uh,
0: now, I, you're calling in from a part of Oregon, and I think uh, you t- said there are more sheep than lesbians, possibly.
3: That's, that's correct. <laughs> that's, and unfortunately, a lot more Republicans than lesbians, too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what part of uh, Oregon are you calling in from?
3: I'm a little bit north of Eugene, which is a delightful area, but uh, we are over the county line into the grass capital of the world in Harrisburg, Oregon, right along the I-5 freeway. And it is, we had more Trump stickers and bumpers, bumper stickers and lawn signs in this stretch of rural highway than I'd ever seen before in my life. And so if I ever felt like I was in the same position of being outnumbered as I felt when I was in Orange County. Uh, Yeah, I don't know why I keep recreating these situations for myself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I think you, uh, Lisa, if you have your radio on in the background, can you turn it off? Because we're getting some feedback in my ears. Yeah. Uh,
3: No, I don't have it on. Oh, all right.
0: Or pick up your phone, maybe. Yeah.
3: Okay, I can do that.
0: All right, thank you. Sure. So, so I—I um, I was telling our listeners before you came on the show that uh, at one time you were like the activist extraordinaire down in Orange County, California. Yes. Yes, you were back in the '70s. I think fighting the Briggs Initiative. Yes.
3: Yes. Um, that I started out uh, going to college at Chapman. Uh, that was basically where. I started cutting my teeth on political stuff. I was a religion major, and I always believed in uh, a type of religion that was... Uh, So that's what got me started on political stuff, and uh, Orange County,
0: yeah, it was. You know, we're having trouble. We're losing our connection to you, Lisa. So I don't. I think what we're going to do is have you call back in. If you can call back in maybe from a landline or something, sure. that's a little better because you're going in and out on the air. And Alan and I will just keep talking and we'll bring you back on. Okay. When, thank you.
3: That's what happens when you're rural. Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you wanted proof that she was in rural Oregon, now you got it. <laughs> we could barely keep contact. You know,
1: uh, Orange County, I love to say... Went from orange to blue this last election. Yeah, and Jeff and I were uh, honored and privileged to hold a fundraiser in our home for Harley Ruda. Yeah, I was there, won- Huntington
0: yeah. Beach. He's now the rep for Huntington, Newport, Absolutely. and Laguna Beach. Absolutely. And yeah, and, Beach.
1: and when I first moved to California, Orange County was solid red Republican, and it just goes to show that, that you can make change and you can change people's minds, uh, even in the reddest of areas. And uh, you know, it gives me hope for uh, bringing people around to. Issues that, that need to be they need to be educated about. I think.
0: Yeah, uh, when when Lisa comes back, I want to ask her a bit about that because this was Orange County was the home of Bill Dannemeyer, a, mm-hmm. a congressman who went around saying that homosexuals emitted spores. Out of their body that potentially carried the HIV virus, and we were a threat to community because yeah. we were sending out AIDS-ridden spores. Yeah, it,
1: it, it's it's <laughs> it's like incredible. I mean, I can't. I when we when we used to go uh, lobby uh, for HRC, I sat in Dana Rohrbacher's office, and the thing that can't I can't even repeat on the air what came out of his mouth, but he used an epithet that was just incredible on Capitol Hill in his office. That's unbelievable. You know, yeah. those are just some ideas
0: of some crazy homophobes. You uh, they, know? they were, and Bob Dornan. Uh, town hall meeting uh, confronted jeff Laterno by saying shut up fag mm-hmm. i mean that's shut up fag i, just I think added, we got her back on the line we got her back on the line all right lisa you're back with us i am i
3: can barely hear you though oh no <laughs> oh
0: god you sound better though <laughs> you we can hear you now clearly now however
3: <laughs> okay well that's the important part so let's go for it
0: so, Lisa, we were talking about Orange County in the battle days of Danahyer, Dornan, uh before it became all blue. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what was it like for you? You and, and Rachel and Julie were in the middle of Irvine, I think, is where you lived, and battling these right-wing homophobes. And you're, a little, I called, I called you earlier, a little power dyke because I think you're
3: all of what, uh, five foot three, maybe? No, nope. you, you've got, you've got about. Uh Four inches on me i'm under five feet <laughs> under five feet
0: a little power yep. yoda you're my power yoda i tell people um uh, so uh what was it like to be you know a lesbian activist in orange county in the 80s
3: well you know i started out before then i mean i was in the 70s um in the middle of orange and uh, so that's, that's where I started. Irvine was a step up in terms of sophistication and, um, you know, having people that actually fought before they voted. Um, but it was a sense of, um, you were just always closeted just because nobody assumed you were gay. Um, there was a sense that um, unless you were at a gay event, you were um, just always had some armor around you um and that's one of the reasons why in irvine when we uh, did the human rights um ordinance initiative yeah uh which was in the 80s uh to try to get uh, gay and lesbian protections um when the city voted that down it was a real kick in the piece and um so that it really made us feel like you know the whole world is against you you know when you know that your neighbors when you go into the grocery store and you look around and you know that over half of the people there don't want you there you know um that was a, a real um example of what it felt like to be uh, in Orange County at that time um What's it? What's it like? You know all about that.
0: I I was there with you. I remember. What's it like in 2019 in rural Harrisburg, Oregon?
3: Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, Oregon is uh, a land of diversity in terms of you know you can get into the rural areas and you are you know. I mean, I ran into the grocery store once, and there was a guy there with uh, guns on, you know, like the old, uh, you know, cartoon with a gun strapped across his chest on both directions. Um, It's an open carry state, so it's like that's just, you find hunters with guns, and uh, it's just a very strange, different kind of wild west out here, Um, but the... The sense in Eugene itself is very liberal it's a it's a college town uh, when we were going to move up here we we knew we wanted to move rural but we wanted to live within uh, you know driving distance of some place that had uh, some harbor safety harbor for us and so Eugene outside of Eugene was a perfect area for that um, one of the things that we immediately realized is when you go into a farm store which was buying five acres and running sheep and stuff. We spend a lot of time spending money in farm stores. Um, You can't assume that uh, somebody that looks like a dyke is a dyke.
0: Um, (laughs) Because they all look like a dyke.
3: (laughs) Exactly. You're a dyke, you're a
5: dyke, everywhere a dyke, dyke.
3: (laughs) Yeah, and you've got these strong women who, you know, they're driving big pickups and they're, you know, hauling 50-pound bags of you know, feed, stock feed and stuff, and it's like you go, oh, wow, that's cool, yeah, uh uh-huh. And you say hi, big smile, you know, and it's like, and then they talk about their husbands. Wow. (laughs) So you go, oh, I I misjudged that. (laughs) I called that one wrong. there is a real sense of, you know, "Mm, okay. (laughs) My date was just very, very off, but um, it was kind of nice because uh, what we found is uh, we took a number of Um, You know, one-on-one farm classes for city kids. Uh, When we first moved up here, we got five steer from the owner of the ranch that we bought. And because we have a farm deferral, which people that are from rural areas will recognize that, you get a nice tax write-off for keeping your property in agriculture. Well, hold so hold on. Hold on. Before
0: yeah. we get into le- we gotta go to a commercial break, but when we oh, come okay. back, you are talking vernacular and language that I, as a gay boy from gay boy from West Hollywood, I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about, girl. But that, okay. that's, we'll uh, slow down. We'll look forward to the conversation. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll be right back with Lisa Kay and Alan Uphold here on Channel Q.
4: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
0: Chris Williamson singing Waterfall, one of my favorite lesbians. And speaking of another favorite lesbian, we're still on the line here with Lisa Kay, who is calling in from Oregon. Welcome back, Lisa. Hey, how you doing there? Alan Uphold has a question for you. So Alan, hi,
1: Lisa. Um, so you hi. were talking a little bit about the challenges of uh, having to s- sort of be in the closet when you lived in Orange County. I'm wondering now, uh, all these years later and in Oregon, if you've been able to feel more comfortably be- comfortable being out and open, and and if so, how has that affected people around you or and or changed hearts and minds up there?
3: Well, I've pretty much always been out, no matter what I was doing, um, but... Um, You know, the thing is trying to get other people willing to be um, more of an activist when they're in an environment that is a little more repressive. Um, But the only thing you can do is just live your life uh, as an example, and usually that brings people around. What we've found is that uh, farmers tend to be very practical people. Um, They tend to resonate with the level of... um, experience you're bringing to something, and uh, they're willing to meet you there just as people. Um, so we have not had very many problems, you know, with uh, neighbors. Um, I took a lot of farm classes. We went to lambing schools. We took pasture management, all, all of those kinds of things. And... Um, We didn't talk uh, a whole lot about gay politics, but um, I found people very upfront and uh, willing to, you know, take me as I am. Um, But that's how I approach living in Orange County, too. You know, um, I think that, uh, you know, if, if you're just comfortable in your skin, you teach other people how to be comfortable around you.
1: So, more about the crops and the weather than about what you're doing in the bedroom, then.
3: <laughs> exactly, yeah. What, it's what a, crops it's do a very you grow? Hands on lifestyle.
1: What crops do you grow, by the way?
3: Uh, well, we basically have just five acres, and we have about uh, 30 sheep. And uh, we we could not ever get to the point where we really were comfortable doing a lot of sla- slaughtering and selling uh, meat, so we went the route of doing hand spinners wool. And so we sell uh, fine hand spinners wool for... Um, Places where people are doing quilting or uh, knitting and um, uh, yarn works and um, spinning and this type of thing. So we actually, actually in Eugene, we have one of the largest um, wool shows on the West Coast. And so we finally proved our medal when we got reserve champion for one of our white wools. So. Um, you know, there's, yeah, uh, we something... finally finally proved that we we weren't the kids on the block that just moved in. So there's I think that
0: was fun. Something poetic about you going from this four foot eleven little power dyke in Orange County, taking on battling the right wing, powerful members of Congress, Reverend Lou Sheldon. Uh, you know, the people of Orange County, and then ending up thirty years later tending sheep in a small town. <laughs> there's just something yes. really poetic and beautiful about that. Why why did you decide to leave the hustle? And bustle of Southern California to to find a, an alter talk about an alternate lifestyle. This is an alternate well, lifestyle.
3: <laughs> the truth of it is, it was my dog. <laughs> I had a mini Aussie, and I started taking sheep herding lessons while I was still doing politics. It was when we were still doing the leadership training program in Orange County, and. um I was very active with that program, which was training leaders for various boards in Orange County. And um, But in my spare days, I would go off to uh, various locations under freeway overpasses where there was this guy named Jerry Stewart who was teaching mostly women, middle-aged women like myself, uh, how to teach their dogs to do sheep herding. And we would do... Uh, uh, competitions up and down the west coast and I kept seeing all of these other professional women who were librarians and doctors and lawyers and different things like that and they lived on five, ten acres in rural areas outside of cities where they still had jobs, but lived a lifestyle that was just totally foreign to me. And um so my dog insisted that I move somewhere where she could have sheep. So we all picked up and took about three years to disengage our lives from the leadership stuff we were doing and, um, found Eugene and, um, man, it's, I like it because it had me using a whole new set of muscles. Um, it's a totally different thing than working in politics, which is very, um, it's kind of amorphous. You, you don't really know what progress you're making until there's an election. Um, But with sheep herding and with farming, it's like you get feedback immediately. You know if what you were doing worked or it didn't work. And it was just kind of freeing and and much more zen for me and just gave me a lot more... satisfaction in a whole new way. You know, so,
0: you know Lisa, um, I know you were one of the leaders who went through the Great Tribulation and lost dozens, if not over a 100 friends who lived in Laguna Beach in Orange County. Uh, yes. Dr. Don Hagan, Dr. Drew Barris, Mark Copal, a lot of your closest friends. And maybe this was one of the ways for you to deal with the PTSD around all that.
3: You know, that's that's possible. And um, it, it's uh, it, it was definitely... Uh, a lifestyle that where you felt like you were in the trenches. You know, at the same time, you made friendships. Uh that were like friendships you made in the trenches and that lasted for years. And you and our friend, you know, you and I are one of those examples. It's like, you will always be my brother in arms.
0: Oh, I feel <laughs> you know? the same way about you, sis. Yep. We yep. Got, we got to go, but it has been wonderful catching up with you and I, I can actually brag to people. I know a lesbian sheep herder. I'm so happy. Yes,
3: <laughs> <Yep>, you can. <laughs> All
0: right. So. Thanks, Lisa K. Thanks for joining us, Lisa. Uh, will we come back? You're welcome. You talk to, talk to you later, Bye. All righty, bye-bye. When we come back, we'll be talking to Steve Roth, the executive director of ORAM, about LGBT refugees. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q.
2: (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too.
0: all right millennial what song is that that you picked to intro Stephen roth that's black eyed peas where's the love good, song, the good love. song that is a great intro song for Stephen roth from oram organization for refugees asylum and migrants Am i, I do that right Stephen? you got that right thanks, <laughs> welcome to the show and gang if you're just tuning in alan uphold is also in studio with us and we're here to talk to Stephen. he's got a new gig and uh, Stephen, I have to—I have to be honest. I had to go online and do a little research about your organization because I wasn't familiar with it. And now I'm already sold before you start speaking on the incredible work you're doing.
4: Awesome. Well, that's what uh, we're hoping for everyone. So, people who are listening around the country, what, what tell us about it, Oram? Sure. Um, we were the first organization founded uh, over 10 years ago to. Uh, work to support directly lgbtiq uh, refugees and asylum seekers around the world wow yeah and so um you know our work covers a lot of different areas we do advocacy on behalf of of this community as you can imagine lgbtiq refugees are some of the most Marginalized uh, people anywhere, doubly, e, triply e, marginalized. First of all, they're refugees, they're fleeing their home countries because of uh, threats of uh, violence and persecution. Um, they don't have the traditional kind of support networks that other refugees have because uh, whereas other refugees often end up with uh, their own communities, LGBTI. refugees are usually trying to get away from from people that are persecuting them among their own family and community members. So there aren't those traditional um, support structures and networks for them. Uh, A lot of them are victims of sexual violence and, and other challenges. So it's a group that really Needs a lot of help and that has um, has been underserved for many years.
0: And by persecuting, we're not just meaning like a you know a a hostile glance. We're meaning execution, beheading, uh, gunshots. I mean, killed by the government.
4: Yeah, it's really true. Um, A lot of the the refugees who we work with and asylum seekers are people fleeing some of the most uh, hostile and dangerous places on the planet. Like where? Um, So we've worked with uh, LGBTIQ refugees uh, fleeing uh, Iran and Iraq and Syria. where, uh, where gay people are put to death you know, for their sexual orientation. Transgender people are, are put to death. Um, I just got back from East Africa and from Kenya and Uganda. A lot of the refugees in these countries are coming from places like uh, Somalia, Sudan, um, Rwanda, Uganda, the Congo, places, uh, again, that either ha- where same-sex relations are criminalized. Um, and and or people are, are put to death. Oftentimes, um, at the hands of their own family, a lot of people are fleeing violence from within their own family. People find out that they're gay or trans and their family members want to do basically an honor killing.
1: So when I found out you were going to be on the show today, I did a cross-reference and did a quick search of countries where LGBTQ people can be executed and cross-reference that with countries that, are, uh, that Trump has put on the no-entry list. Uh, Iran, Yemen, and Somalia are three of those countries. Can you take... For my benefit and probably for some of our listeners' benefit, can you take us through the process? What happens when somebody shows up at the U.S. border and says, I'm in trouble in my home country and I'd like asylum? What happens? What's the process like?
4: Yeah, well, that's a good question. Unfortunately, the process is being upended now. you know, normally asylum seekers would reach the u s they would get the chance to um to make that case for for asylum here and remain in the country while um while they waited for their hearing There's usually a hearing that's scheduled some um weeks or months usually months later um so now uh the Trump administration has recently implemented this uh um remain in mexico remain in place policy and so not only are they not allowing asylum seekers to reach u s Territory where they can claim, make an asylum claim, but they're also actively sending back uh, many that have arrived. And there are now 58,000 asylum seekers in Mexico waiting. to enter the U.S. waiting for their appointment. Um, Some of those appointments aren't scheduled now until 2020 or uh, 2021. So now Mexico is becoming um, this growing uh, kind of host country or transit country for asylum seekers. Uh, They're trying to reach the U.S. This is so screwed up. These are not people coming here because they want a job.
0: These are people trying to escape death.
4: Yeah, they're really really fleeing for their lives. I met um, a young a Yemeni trans woman in the refugee camp in, uh, in Kenya. And, uh, you know, someone uh, taped her. Yemen is one of the eight countries that has the death penalty for being gay. And someone actually uh, recorded her having sex and sent it to her family she had to flee immediately or would have been put to death and uh ended up in sudan which is you know one of the least friendly countries for for lgbt refugees uh worked her way to kenya and um because she is a middle eastern uh asylum seeker in in an area where where most uh, most asylum seekers and refugees are uh, are african you know she she stands out like a, a sore thumb so she's a constant um uh target for attacks and violence you know this is someone who's truly fleeing for her life her family is now dead uh, back in Yemen, you know, in connection to to her uh to her being transgender. They
0: killed the family
4: because she was trans? Two committed suicide and oh my God. Uh, another family member was murdered. So it's really, you know, these are grave situations. Why
0: why do people go to Turkey and then Berlin? What's what's the pathway from the Middle East or Africa through Turkey to yeah. get
4: to Berlin? Yeah. so uh Turkey is uh, is one of the major uh, refugee reception countries. Um uh, there are I think over 3 million refugees refugees currently in turkey um it's really kind of the first the first stop if you're at le- border syria and iraq and iran so if you're if you're leaving those uh those places it's one of the first places you get to and of course um the the U- european union and others have now incentivized turkey to hold many of those refugees there some of course as we know have have migrated often without legal status to europe and that's how a lot you know a lot of them ended up in germany and other places uh, but many more are still there and again if you're um If you're a a trans Syrian or a gay Iraqi and you're in with your fellow country people in Turkey, you know, you're um, the prospects for you there aren't a lot better than, uh, you know, than if you were back home, you know, when people find out your sexual orientation or gender identity.
1: Do you have any statistics on uh, the number of people who are being displaced or trying to seek asylum from the country where they are living currently?
4: And not based on sexual orientation gender identity it's so hard because so many of them are in the closet sure. of course because it's not safe and i encountered that um just when i was in kenya a couple weeks ago i had the chance to actually meet some um some refugees that uh that aren't out in deeply closet and it was amazing that we were even able to to speak to them um but for their own safety they have to do that uh we also met with a number of uh of urban refugees in nairobi uh not in the camps and um uh, met a number of trans uh, refugees who, for example, uh, even though they might identify as a trans woman, uh, present as uh, in a more masculine way just to survive kind of day-to-day on the street because it's that dangerous for them.
0: Uh, well, we're we going to have to go to a commercial where we're going come back. We'll get deeper into this. But uh, am I right in suspecting that the Bible and the Quran are beneath all of this? Or is it more complex?
4: Yeah. Um, it's definitely complex, but there's certainly elements of that. There is also, sadly, a history of uh, colonial rule in a lot of countries that still have that still criminalize same-sex relations. Um, the old uh, British buggery laws mm. um, a, a have carried over. Uh, Modern-day uh, American evangelists are fueling this in some countries. So, you know, sadly, we have uh, we have a role in this.
0: We're exporting it. Yes, the A,
4: USMA, We're exporting it. Great.
0: Okay, uh-huh. gang, we're gonna come back with Stephen Roth from Oram. Uh, Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. Changing the world. LGBT people, yep, always changing the world. And we've got one of those changes on the air with us right now. It's Stephen Roth from ORAM, the Organization for Refugees, Asylees, and Migrants. Welcome back, Steve. Thanks, John. And we still got Alan Uphold here interviewing you. Before the break, we were talking about uh, the immigration through Turkey uh, from the Middle East and Africa, but maybe closer to home need to talk about the Mexico, Mexico border. And obviously, that's what's confronting all of us.
4: Absolutely. Um, it's a growing crisis. And, you know, what you have kind of where it's starting from is you have countries like El Salvador and Honduras, which have the highest uh, murder rates for transgender women in the world. Uh, so people are truly, again, fleeing for their lives. Uh, they're trying to reach. Um, The safety of the United States, uh, you know, a country that we've always positioned ourselves and always been a beacon of hope for for the world. And by the way, the country that's accepted more refugees uh, since World War Two than any other country. And they're arriving. And unfortunately, that door is being closed in their faces. Uh, They're often either. uh, reaching the U.S. and then being sent back under this new this new uh, Trump administration return to Mexico policy, uh, or they're just not being allowed to enter the U.S. in the first place. And so what that means is that uh, you have you have. Gay refugees, lesbian refugees, transgender refugees who are now in uh, these border cities like Reynosa and Ciudad Juarez and Tijuana, which are some of the most dangerous cities in Mexico. Um, you know, they're they're doubly vulnerable. They're coming from uh, you know from other countries and contexts. Uh, they have no place to live. You know, they lack protection and safety and the means to support themselves. And so it's really um, it's really a recipe for for disaster for this community.
0: It's you know we had Swap on the show. Last week, the Sex Workers Outreach program, Mm. and they're seeing a lot of, you know, trans women when you need to eat and you don't have employable skills, yeah. you become a yeah. sex worker. Yeah. And I'm guessing that's what's happening to all these trans women in Mexico.
4: That's exactly it. That is a big problem. It's something we see around the world. You know, I've, I've seen that in Kenya and Uganda, some of the places I've just at recently. And so it's uh, it's one of the reasons that a big focus for uh, for Oram going forward is we're looking at, at more ways to support LGBTIQ refugees in uh, the countries where they are, uh, even before they reach their um their countries of asylum and so one of the you know one of the things we're working on are developing livelihood programs um which are uh uh, programs and work that that people can perform uh to support themselves often in the comfort of their own homes or or where they are i'm wearing a couple bracelets that were made for me by uh by Kenyan ref- or refugees in Kenya, Ugandan refugees, um, you know, it's become a source of income uh, for them. We've supported uh, some chicken farms, urban chicken farms, and rabbit farms when we were there, and you know, there's a lot of potential there. And uh, and you know, again, we want to help people be, for better or for worse. Refugees are, are getting stuck in these uh, in these transit countries for longer and longer years at a time, and so uh, you know, we need to provide safety and resources for them there. So that's something we're looking at. I'm actually going to be traveling to the Mexican border. Uh, in a few weeks um, to, to meet with refugees and to work on some of these solutions. Steve, can you
1: pick up on that uh, thread there a little bit and tell us a little bit more about the programs and services that ORAM
4: offers? Sure, absolutely. I appreciate you asking, Alan. Um, so, we, one, we, we do general advocacy work to raise the issues uh, of this particular community. We've done a lot of education and training with uh, the United Nations itself, which oversees this 10 years ago. There was not a lot of familiar, familiarity with uh, Refugees who were seeking uh, uh, asylum on the basis of sexual orientation, gender identity. Um, same thing with a lot of the NGOs and non-governmental organizations that work with these populations. Education and training. We also provide legal services um, in helping country in helping individuals who are trying to get their uh, what they call refugee status determination. Um, which is a whole process. We've represented some individuals uh, and now, again, providing um, more resources for the refugees themselves. I was just talking about the livelihoods programs. We're also uh, doing more capacity building, which is uh, training, uh, training refugees to organize themselves and uh to you know to to fundraise for themselves and to to create organizations we're also the huge need um which i don't think i fully appreciate it, Is there's a, obviously huge amounts of trauma in this community and so there's a big need for mental health services and so we started um uh, doing some important some work in that area in Kenya, it's going to be something we'll look at for sure. For um, for Mexico, and a lot of times we do that. We're a very small organizations. So we'll do it in partnership with other local organizations. Are
0: there refugees coming out of Russia still, or or what about Asia, places like Malaysia or Burma?
4: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we are uh, we are uh, we have a partner organization, parent organization called Alight, formerly the American Refugee Committee, and they have um, some some camps they support in that area, uh, that part of the world. And my understanding is there are. Uh, of course, there are LGBT refugees there. Um, a lot of them are deeply closeted, so there there isn't quite the the community presence as there is in places like like Kenya and Turkey and increasingly in Mexico. Uh, but you know, but there is a need. There are, there are refugees still, uh, asylum seekers still coming out of out of Russia. Um, the challenge is for all of this is that a lot of the um, the resettlement opportunities are starting to dry up. Of course, we know what's happening here in the U.S. with the Trump administration dramatically cutting back the. Um, the slots for, uh, uh, for refugees to get resettled. A lot of other countries are doing that. Uh, Germany, of course, had it opened its doors uh, dramatically and wonderfully uh, in the past, and now those, um, those channels are drying up. There are a few countries like Canada that is still uh, accepting uh, refugees, including uh, those uh, LGBTIQ refugees, but, but the, uh, the channels are, are slowing down.
0: You know, I, I got to tell you, I, so we've been doing this about a year. This conversation, so moving. And what you're doing, I, th- I know there's people uh, thinking like me, like I want to help. Yeah. What can they do? Yeah. I, I assume you're accepting donations <laughs> <and,
4: laughs> for your work. We will not turn. We will not <laughs> turn away your support. No, I appreciate that. It's um, there's a huge, huge amount of need here, um, and, and it's really global. Um, we appreciate anyone's support. First of all, you can find out more about us on our website at orumrefugee.org. Uh, we have a donate page there if you'd like to donate to support our work, uh, help us expand these programs. Uh, you can also. find Find us on social media, uh, at Orem Refugee on Twitter and um, Facebook.com slash Orem Refugee. Um, We also just uh, really need help getting the word out. Part of what we're doing, by the way, I'm new in this role. I'm less than two months in the role, but uh, we, we have a lot of grand plans. And one of them is to really create a platform for refugees themselves to tell their own stories and so uh, you're gonna be seeing more refugee stories from us and, and hearing those, uh, those narratives soon and you know, any help getting the word out on, on the work that we do and really elevating these voices, we'd appreciate it.
0: Steve, you're doing God's work, so now I gotta got figure out why. <laughs> where where did Steve Roth come from? Gay little boy, born and raised where?
4: Yeah, so well, I was actually born close to the border, uh, Tucson, Arizona. That's okay. where I was born and spent my early childhood. My mom was Mexican. Um, we moved to the Midwest when I was a kid, so that was like culture shock going to, uh, you know, moving to a different country. It was a small town in the Midwest, and um, yeah, I you know... I, For all the challenges that I think a lot of us uh, of a certain age experienced, you know, my life has been really good and I feel really blessed and I have a wonderful and loving and supportive family and friends. I just realized at a certain point I've spent the majority of my professional career in the private sector and working in the corporate world uh, that uh, that I had a lot to be grateful for and, you know, a lot to to give back. And so this is kind of me paying it forward.
0: Man, and, and you are doing it. Thank you, Steve Roth, so much. Will you come back again in the future and tell us how things are going with Kenya and Uganda and Mexico? And Steve, and, and Steve Roth. Yes, Steve Roth. <laughs> I and, would love to. And Steve Roth, yeah, yeah, especially. I would really love that. Love I to have you it. come back. Thank you. Great, thank Gang, you. when we come back, we'll be talking to the leaders of the Trans Chorus of Los Angeles. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. You Have More Friends Than You Know, written by the incredible Jeff Marks, openly gay composer, wrote Avenue Q, and of course wrote that song, not only for the Gay Men's Chorus Los Angeles, but the Trans Chorus of Los Angeles. I heard them perform it this past weekend at Alan Uphold and Jeff Old's home, and it was beautiful. John, it
1: makes me cry every single time every I time hear, it. hear it. I, I just <laughs> break down every time. Yeah,
0: good, we got Alan in tears, gang. We're off to a good <laughs> yeah. start. We've got two of the leaders from the Trans Chorus with us, today, Catherine Davis, the executive director at Abdullah, hall the artistic director welcome to sidebar thank you. Thank you. To here. so who wants to start about the the story of the trans chorus its creation and where you got to and how you got to where you are now
6: i'll start off catherine um, okay yeah first john thank you for having us here and sharing the story of uh, tcla we began four years ago in uh, october of 2015 is when we began our re- excuse me our rehearsals and uh, it was a kind of a gaggly group of trans people got together and none of us were obviously professionals didn't know about our, our voices but we worked very hard and uh... thanks to the gay men's course los angeles uh... found a space and started singing and rehearsing and uh... then we hit the stage at the vanguard awards for a wonderful evening and that first year we did some pride events and uh just kind of grew a little bit into ourselves
0: you're the only (laughs) trans chorus in the country right yeah
6: um the only all trans chorus. yeah there are other courses that have trans people mixed in with them but that we are the only all trans chorus in the in the country yeah and Abdullah, you're
0: now how long have you been the artistic director
5: i have been artistic director for about a year and a half now and um as soon as i became ad I clearly saw that our vision was changing the trans narrative from victim to victorious. Because every day, every one of those singers wake up, they get ready for work or get ready for school, and they walk out as the most fierce, amazing trans individuals on the planet. <laughs> and that is victory. Every day you wake up and you can walk out as your trans identified self, that is a victory.
1: And Abby, can you talk a little bit about the unique challenges that uh, trans folks deal with when dealing with their voice and how this is helped, uh, the, the chorus helps with that process?
5: Great. Yes, Alan. So um, one of the unique things about having a trans course, and, and like Catherine said, there are officially, according to Gala course, which um, comprises of all the queer courses in America, there are four of us, but we're the only one that is all trans. Working within a trans chorus, it started off as a TTBB chorus—a t- first tenor, second tenor, bass, baritone—but that's really not true because SATB are just markers, just like our gender. It's just another vocal marker. SATB soprano, so, alto, tenor, yes. baritone. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, sure. um, those are just markers. So one of the things that we have to keep mi- be mindful of within our chorus is one, making sure to not engender a voice type as well as understanding that voices are changing because when you start on hormone replacement therapy, if you are male identified and you're on testosterone, your voice is going to get lower. So I lose... Upper voices a lot, so I need T ones, T twos. Auditions are coming up September. Um, estrogen does not do anything to your voice. If it did, I would be the highest lyric tenor on the planet.
1: But so, in um, essence, if you're taking, uh, if you're transitioning from M to F, nothing happens to your voice, is what you're saying. Nope it, it's it, it's kind of where it is, right? It's
5: it's just where it
1: is. Yeah. If um, I
6: if I might jump in, yeah, I'm, yes. Uh, you know, I'm. 70-year-old woman who what? sings that baritone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes.
1: I wish you could see her. She looks great. <laughs> Thank you.
6: <laughs> but it's funny, when I come out to sing and uh, people, we were singing at the Compton Pride, I walked out and sang. I have a little solo in one of the pieces and walked out and started to sing my solo in my baritone voice and this young woman in the front row of the audience, her eyes just popped wide open. She kind <laughs> of stared at me like... Who is this woman singing baritone or this deep voice? So
0: it's a joy. Be Arthur is what I would have got. (laughs) But it's a joy to
6: to give your own voice and be able to, to sing in your own voice. And that's what we tell people. Come in. You don't have to be affected. Just sing and use your voice to be proud of being who you are.
1: And talk a little bit more, so you're talking about this woman that saw you in the front row. Talk a little bit more, explain to the listeners the impact that you have had and some of the parents and young people that have come up to you after your performances. Explain a little bit about that.
5: Well, one of the amazing things about being a part of this course is there's a lot of trans children out there and a lot of parents who are now dealing with trans identification in very young ages, as early as three statistically. Um... But what that really does is shows these parents that their kids with love are going to be 100% okay. When we go out there and sing, and a young kid we did a performance at Pasadena Playhouse, sorry, in Pasadena at A Noise Within, and there was a young girl there and she was 10 years old and she was very open about being a 10-year-old trans-identified girl there with both her parents and I can't remember her name, but she would turn around, I'm just going to use Madeline. Hi, my name is Madeline, I'm trans, what are you? And her parents sat there and and they were so supportive and what they told us afterwards was when they bring her to our concerts or our shows at a pride she's seeing other people that are exactly like her not hiding not ashamed not you know being put down but coming out using our voices in the in an effective, positive manner, um, bringing light, love and song to the world. And that's a great thing. I just got an email before getting here today. There's a woman that really, really wants us to change our policy of 18 and over. Her child is a professional child singer but got kicked out of um, choir at school Mm. because they are trans-identified male and he has not sung. Since So he hasn't sung in a year. And so I encouraged her. I said, of course, I'll have to talk to our board about our policy. But we have open rehearsals on September 8th and 15th. Why don't you and your son please come with us? Come and sing in that open rehearsal just so that he can know he has a place to sing and be himself there.
1: We may have to talk to our attorney, Mr. Duran, about oh that policy.
0: <laughs> I suddenly went from DJ to attorney. I love that. that. Uh, gag. we're going to have to cut for a commercial break. When we come back, more from Abdullah Hall and Catherine Davis from the Trans of Los Angeles and my co-host for the day, the wonderful Alan Uphold. Thanks for tuning in to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q wonderful cindy lopper singing true colors another great song the trans los angeles performs we need recordings
5: abby we need recordings that of is in the works um.
6: <laughs> and we have one that we sing with um our wonderful maggie's abo i'm sure I hope the audience has seen that it's uh, is that available
0: on, you, on YouTube. It yes. is, yes.
1: All right. Actually, actually, you should talk a little bit about that. First of all, I want you to tell people how often you perform and how much in demand you are, but also some of the artists that you have been,
5: uh, oh. the ones that you're allowed to talk about. Great, um, which is most. So last year, last year alone, we did over 35 performances throughout Southern California. Wow. We sing at every Pride. This year, I thought we would do less, but so far we've done. 20 performances we've sung with the amazing Maggie Zabo that's S-A-S-Z-A-B-O you can check her out on Instagram and Facebook called All About Maggie she wrote a great piece called Don't Give Up it is phenomenal we have a video with Maggie Zabo we've had the pleasure of singing with early on Justin Tranter and Our Lady J who have just been huge proponents of the Trans Chorus of Los Angeles Um, Gay Men's Chorus our big brothers have invited us to sing every time they've done background vocals for anybody. But one of the best ones was Demi Lovato, because at that Demi Lovato concert, this um, for me, I saw the impact of being part of the Transcourse of Los Angeles. We were on a dinner break. And we were at a Sizzler um, in Inglewood and a young girl came up to me and she recognized me from the Trans Course of Los Angeles. And sh- she looked at me and she said, you guys saved my life. Oh. And that's when I knew as AD that this was a calling and bigger than myself. Um, that young lady also ended up going to Trans Pride, where I saw her there, and she said she had never seen that many trans people in her life. She always thought she was alone. And that's what we do with our voices. We're we're out there being visible. We're out there for the community. We're out there for every young trans-identified, gender nonconforming, gender nonbinary, queer individual to say you have a space and a place here on this planet. Um, and we love collaborating with with artists. We have some things coming up in the works that I can't talk about yet, but um, fingers crossed and you can hear the smile on my face that this will be amazing so that not only Southern California knows the transcourse of Los Angeles, but the rest of the United States and the world at large.
0: Wow there's, right. wow, there's a plug. There's a pet right go. there. You know, uh, we've been listening to a couple of songs by Chris Williamson earlier today, a uh, lesbian folk singer. One of her songs is The Changer and the Changed. And the song is about how change end up becoming changed in the process of being change makers. And I know for the Gay Men's Chorus of Los Angeles, because uh, I was there for 20 years, that that body of men created a family that ended up given them a reason to be, a reason to exist individually and collectively. And I'm just wondering if that sort of phenomenons happening with the trans course. Four years ago, you all walked in to Plummer Park. You were all strangers, maybe. Maybe you knew one. Did you know anyone, Catherine?
6: I did not know anyone. Didn't know anyone. I didn't know anyone. <clears throat> um, I'm kind of, there's a couple of us that are the senior citizens of the group. Our, <laughs> our age ranges from uh, early 20s into the 70s. So we have a really broad spectrum of people who identify as trans, gender nonconforming, gender queer. And it's a wonderful, as you said, it's a family. We have some people that come there um, that came in originally scared to death. Of course. Wouldn't speak, you know, wouldn't even look at you in the eye. They just couldn't do that. And now they're singing,
0: they're standing. And now, on, and now she's the artistic director. <laughs>
1: That is true. Well, that one looks everybody there, trust true. me.
0: <laughs> I don't know whether
1: Abby's ever been shy, but that's... <laughs> no, I, I don't think so. so. But Kath- Catherine, me. tell us a little bit about what's on tap. So you just finished season four, right? We did, This is yes. season five yes. coming up starting next week, right? It or is. What's, what's, what's in Actually, store for us? we uh,
6: started season five last weekend. We had a couple of performances. We performed at the Saban Theater, which was a wonderful event. Um, and we also performed at Downtown L.A. Proud. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, another really enjoyable event to, to let people see who we are. Um, we have an event coming up in sup- the end of September, September 21st. At um, It's called the El Segundo Museum of Art. And they have a... Uh, showing on there of The Wizard of Oz. So we're doing three numbers from one from The Wizard of Oz, one from The Wiz, and one from uh, Wicked. Mm, And uh, we're kind of closing their show for them. They've invited us there. Their uh, director is in the LGBTQ community and she invited us to come and sing. So we're really excited to do that. um, (laughs) We'll be doing Palm Springs Pride again in November and a few other shows. And Minneapolis, I hear? Yes. Yeah, that's the big one coming up in... I'll jump into that one. ...2020. It's, uh, in Minneapolis is the Gala Festival of all um, queer choruses from across the United States and some from outside the United States coming to sing. And I, I'll, I'll let Abby explain more as the artistic person well, here.
5: Before I jump in, can you tell them the name of this show at El Segundo Museum of Art, please? Uh, it's... Oh, yeah, you caught me off guard here.
6: <laughs> <laughs> um, it's... It wickedly trans voices from the rainbow. Yes. <laughs> okay, good.
5: <laughs> yes. That's so good. If we're, that's, um, El Segundo Museum of Art has a great exhibit of all Oz, and they wanted to be all inclusive. So when they added The Wiz and Wicked, I thought it was amazing because that story, it just crosses generations. It crosses cultures, and especially once they started mixing it up with The Wiz. I'm a huge Wiz fan. And then Wicked, um, it just became a part of a part of me with that. So we have a lot of things coming up. Um we have auditions, Coming up at the LA LGBT Center, the Ed Gold Village, on Saturday, September 7th, Sunday, September 8th, Saturday, September 14th, and Sunday, September 15th.
0: What's your website in case people need to
5: that? You can go to TranschorusLA.net, that's our website, or find us, the Transcourse of Los Angeles, on Facebook, and Instagram for more information on auditions. We have a great season coming up, season five. We are working on a documentary. We have our show called Voices, which is an exploration of trans-identified voices because most people don't know what a trans-identified voice is. So I want folks to experience what it is like to sing from a trans point of view and actually physiologically having a trans voice, um, which is going to be amazing. We'll also be back at the Renberg Theater for Phoenix Rising, which is a great collaboration we're going to be doing with John and Parado over there um let's call it labelle is about to be in the house um <laughs> we have got to actually wrap it up yes. we've got less than 45
0: seconds before i have to go off the air but i want to thank you guys for thank coming you. to sidebar will you come back another day we'll have to come back and talk Ab- some more
6: absolutely All we right. thank you so much oh, well, and, thank uh, you. please um i'd be remiss as the executive director not to say please go to our facebook or yes. website yeah. and yeah. Push the little donate button. There we you are. are <laughs> uh, yes, uh, thank you, welcome yes, him, John. John, John thank, thank you for John having you me Davis. Today.
0: Alan Uphold, Abdullah Hall. Thank you thank all for you. being here. Jason Yaz, thank you. Yes. as always been such a great thank producer. You. Thank and you. <laughs> we'll see you all next week on Side by with John Duran. Stay tuned next for uh, Jared Hill and Ali on uh, All Things. Con- oh, not All Things Considered. This way considered. Or I- I no the- things considered. No <laughs> <There> things considered. <laughs> there, you there you go. All right. Thanks, gang.